You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 37. Genesis 37 is where we're going to be. And as you find it, if you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to stand and honor the reading of the scripture this morning and try to get through this. In a timely manner today, there's a lot here, and we've got a group of people getting ready to go to camp this afternoon. We're meeting at 145 uh, to load up and hit the road, and so we'll be going to church in uh, Bellevue, Nebraska tonight on our way to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We'll drive through the night, and we've got a caravan of about 55 people, and so um, it's going to be a tight fit in a 15-passenger van. I think we can make it, though. Um, you know, we're Baptists, we're close, and we like to save money, so um, uh, those junior high boys, I hope they like to surf on top, you know, we'll see, um, but it'll be, it'll be, we've got three vehicles, uh, we've got a shuttle bus and two vans full of people uh, ready to hear God's word for the week, and uh, so pray for us as we travel, um, but before we get to that, it is the Lord's Day, and Brother Roger Watson reminded us of that. I know camp's on a lot of people's minds, and yet what should be in the forefront of our mind is that we serve a sovereign God uh, who, is, who is looking right now. He, the Bible says that he searches for those that will seek him, and he is looking for worshipers this morning. And, uh, he, and we'll, if you'll be a worshiper, I'm telling you, God will respond uh, to your worship, and he'll speak to you. He'll work in your life. And Genesis 37 is where we're going to be. And read this account in Joseph's life, and there's a lot here. So I want you to catch the story as we read it. I know sometimes you read this text of Scripture, especially while you're standing, and you think, this is my time for my brain to check out. Uh, but there's a lot of details here we won't be able to cover in the sermon. So if you want the sermon to be shorter, listen while we read, okay? It's like, man, I'm listening better than I've ever listened, Pastor. Okay, Genesis 37, verse 12. It says, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. Now, just as a note, uh, this, is the, this is the character of Joseph. Is that his father says, I need you to go and check up on your brothers in Shechem. And he says, Here am I. Uh, his spirit is one of submission to his father. And one that says, whatever my father wants, I willingly submit to his authority. That's the kind of guy Joseph was. He, he is a guy that wants to do right, and he does it with all his heart. And, uh, and therefore, because of that, then jo- Joseph is his father's favorite son. He made, the, made him a coat of many colors. I'm not going to speak to the rightness or wrongness of that, but it was the reality. He made him a coat of many colors, and because of that coat, then his brothers hated him. And because of his dreams as well, his brothers also hated him because he had a prophetic dream about his sheaf being bowed to by the other sheaves that represent his family. And then the sun, moon, and stars bowing to him. Um, And uh, it is a prophetic dream from God. It was from God. And he told his brothers and they hated him even more. Little brother thinking, they're thinking, pipsqueak, we're not going to bow to you. And that's that's in the Hebrew, pipsqueak is the word. We're not going to bow to you, they say. They're upset about it. So he says, here am I, I'll go check on my brothers. And he said, and and he said to him, go, I pray thee, verse 14, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what seekest thou? 
And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. He finds a random man who helps him because this is a picture of God's providence. That even when you're lost, even if you don't know what to do, God's still working the details out in our lives. And I'm thankful for that. Verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They hate him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. He, that means the master of dreams is what it means. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. How much scorn they have. And Reuben heard it, and thankfully, big brother, he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. I'm thankful for his intervention in this moment. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. It's the first thing they take off. His coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. While he's down in the pit, they just sit to eat. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh. Going to carry it down to, what's the name? Egypt. They're going down to Egypt. Take note. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Uh, these these the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. And he says, And let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother in our flesh. And his brethren were content. So Judah steps in and and, and says, don't kill him, let's sell him. Verse 28. Then there passed by Midianite merchant, Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned into the pit, and he had apparently been away. He returns, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, this, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took young Joseph's coat and killed a, co a kid of go the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, that, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it. I mean, he had made it. He knew it. He says, He said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph's, Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into where? into Egypt, under Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. I'm just calling it this morning. So many directions you could go. So many angles you could take. But I want to try to give you the big idea. 
And, and this morning I'm just calling the, the message, When a Dream Becomes a Nightmare. Because there are times when we follow God and we, we, we are doing what, what his revelation has told us to do and yet we find ourselves in a pit. And we have to at that moment decide how we're going to view the pit. If we're going to view it as punishment or if we're going to view it as a means that God is using to get us to our next step of usefulness. And this morning, when a dream becomes a nightmare, what will your response be? Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I appreciate your attention. Have you ever been woken up from a deep sleep and it took a little bit to get over the confusion? Uh, this morning, I, I, at about 7 o'clock, I went into Jace's room. He's you know, 9 years old and, and, uh, and we have men's prayer meeting on Sunday mornings. It's our first service on Sundays, by the way, 745. A good group of men gathered this morning to pray and fellowship today. I invite you to come and look, like for our, all the men here to, to come to that on Sunday mornings. But I woke Jace up and we had a late night because we're getting ready for camp. All seven of us are taking that trip. And, and I opened the door and Jace set up with eyes wide open. <laughs> and I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was dreaming. I didn't ask. But he was woken up in a panic. I remember when, I, when Lacey was little, and I'll ask her for forgiveness later. When Lacey was little, she was about this tall, and, and uh, she would, when she couldn't sleep, she would come into our bedroom at night, and I always would sleep on my side. And my, so my face is facing out from the mattress right on the edge of the bed. And Lacey, rather than coming in and saying something, Lacey would come and stand right next to my face, nose to nose, just like that, because she was real little, you know. And so I'd be dreaming about something good. I'm sitting on a beach and the sun is, you know, shining and, and it's a sunny day and there's no clouds in the sky. And then a formidable cloud, a storm rolls in and it's dark and it's in the shape of a small child with no face. So I wake up from the sense of foreboding and there's a real face right in front of mine. I'm telling you, it'll wake you up real fast. You ever been woken up in the middle of the night and you're just confused and you're wondering, oh, you know, what happened? I was having a good dream and that dream took a weird turn. Dreams take weird turns sometimes. One minute you're talking to people you know and the next minute you're running from that monster that's been chasing you in your dreams. You're from your childhood. You know, dreams take a bad turn, but it's not just dreams that take a bad turn sometimes. Real life takes a bad turn sometimes. I remember the, the book called years ago titled When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And, and I think if I was writing that book, I'd give it an update. I'd, I'd, I'd give the title an encouraging update and say bad things happen to all people. It's the feel-good book of the year. But it's true. It rains on the just and the unjust. And Joseph certainly learned that good dreams can become nightmares because his dreams came from God. His, his dreams were God's revelation of himself and he embraced those dreams. Those dreams were of the sheaves and, and the sun, moon, and stars bowing to him. And, and I, some people criticize jo uh, Joseph, uh, but I, I believe it's just in his zeal because he knew that God was going to do something big with his life. And who knew that if he tells his brothers, they're going to hate him for it. And so he tells his brothers and they hate him and his father even rebukes him 
for it. But, but I believe that God knew, or Joseph knew that God was going to do something with his life. And, and we find out because we read the end of the story that that's exactly what happened later on. Joseph found himself standing with Pharaoh and, and, and representing Pharaoh and, and people bowing to him. And so he embraced these dreams. He embraced the revelation of God and he wanted to follow it because that was his heart. But when you do that, you're going to be isolated. That's what we looked at last time. If you follow God's word, you'll be one of the in the minority. And the rest of the world, they don't want to hear God's word. Even right now, they're trying to stamp out truth. And they're trying to say, no, God's word doesn't matter anymore. And we're not going to listen to God's word. And if you're going to stand for God and his revelation, get ready to stand alone. You're going to be isolated. The world wants to get rid of God's word. And look at what, look at what goes on here. Uh, the story begins with Jacob sending Joseph to check on his brothers. And this isn't going to help with his brothers because we know that Joseph has already given his father an evil report of his brothers. It says earlier that he had gone back and said, you don't even want to know what they're doing out in the field without you, Dad. And, and they had found out, so they hate him even more. But here's Jacob then sending Joseph back to check on his brothers. And he goes to this area, and I'm just going to give you the overview here. He goes to this area where they had been, and there's a random man wandering around. You don't know who he is. We don't know his name. Um, and sometimes the scripture seems random. You know, so it's like that friend, and everyone's having a normal conversation but there's always that one friend that comes in and you're like, where did that come from? It had nothing to do with what we were talking about. Sometimes the Bible seems that way and yet it's because we're not thinking about the fact that God is behind it all and he's working behind the scenes and, and this random man says, no, I know where your brothers went. They went over in this direction and, and Joseph doesn't let that deter him. He says, no, I've got a job to do for my father. So he, he, he finishes the job, he finds his brothers, and on his way to see his brothers in verse 18, when they saw him afar off, and I imagine that Joseph sees them afar off too. I mean, there's a large herd, and there are flocks and, and animals, and so I'm sure that Joseph is coming up over the top of this hill, and there's a, maybe a valley in between, and there's another hill, and he looks over, and he sees scattered across the hillside, he sees these flocks. And then he can see maybe even the shapes of his brothers uh, in, among the flocks. And, and I, I'm sure that he can see them because they can see him. And they can tell who he is. There's no coat like the one that he's got on. So in this moment, I just want to pause. And I want you to think about Joseph before we move on in the story. Consider what his mindset would have been. I mean, he looks across and he sees the herd and he sees his brothers. And he says, oh, I'm almost there. So, I mean, consider his position. He's gladly submitted to his father. Is that right or wrong? Has he done right or wrong in submitting to his father? He's done right. He, he's, he has gladly obeyed his father's instructions. Is that right or wrong? It's right. Yeah, he, he's done right. He has willingly accepted God's revelation and will for his life. Is, it, is he done right or wrong? Right. He proves, you can answer, by the way, it'll help wake you up. He proves uh, here that he finishes the task when he's asked, is that right or is that wrong? It's right. He's doing right. He dreams big and he has faith in God and that God's going to keep his promises. Is it right or wrong to do that? It's right. So if I'm Joseph and I'm standing there and I see my brothers and I see the herds, I might be thinking, hey, as long as I do right, God's going to bless me. I mean, look at it. He even blessed my endeavor. There are my brothers. 
I mean, I know, I know that my, uh, you know, my, my, my father sent me here. And I could have done something else. I could have headed back when I didn't find him. But, but I stuck it out. And because of that, God's blessing my endeavor. Even bigger, God gave me a dream. And, and I believe that if I just keep doing right in the small things, that God is going to do big things with my life. He's going to work things out for me. Praise the Lord. Joseph's a cup half full kind of guy. Some of us need to be cup half full kind of people. We need to see the positive in life. We need to, we need to James Ruckman it a little bit. We can be negative. And you might be thinking, well, if you read what happens next. Okay, that's fair. I, I don't have an answer for that. But, but you know what? There's no reason, though, before what happens next to just dread what happens next. You might as well assume, because it's happening, that God is behind it all. And God in his providence is working these things out. His brothers see him coming, and they see that colorful coat, and they think, let's kill him. And brothers talk like that sometimes. I'm going to kill you. Most brothers don't mean it. They meant it. They said, behold, the dreamer cometh. Literally, it means master of dreams. Can you just imagine how they talked, especially if his voice hadn't changed yet? Master of dreams, here he comes. I'm a big brother. I know how to do this. <laughs> they say, we're going to kill him. We're going to throw his body in a pit. We're going to blame it on an animal. Well, I mean, it's true. And it's all because, listen, it's all because God uh, had given Joseph these dreams and Joseph had, had embraced the revelation and they didn't want to. And this is so often the spirit of those who don't want to hear what God has to say. They want to trample out God's word. They want to smash it. They want to rub it into the dirt. And they, they think that they can nullify God's word with human effort. But let me just remind you that even though sometimes it seems like the world is succeeding at stamping out God's word. Isaiah, Isaiah said the flower fadeth, the grass withereth, but the, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So even though the world even right now, literally in the streets of our major cities, right now they're trying to stamp out God's word. They're trying to nullify the value of human life right now. They're trying to say that, that a, a soul doesn't matter uh, until they're born and even then. And yet God's word says he breathed the breath of life into Adam and that image of God has been passed to every human soul. He knows babies in the womb. I mean... Think about John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. When he got near Jesus, he was the first one to recognize outside of Mary. Uh, it was a baby, a fetus they might say, recognizing Jesus Christ, the presence of Jesus Christ. And tell me that's just a clump of cells. God loves every human. He loves the unborn. He loves the born. He loves every person. Doesn't matter your condition. Doesn't matter where you've come from. Don't let what's happening right now in our world convince you otherwise. They cannot trample down God's word. They can't nullify it. They can't make it untrue. And you know, we say amen to that. We believe that. But there will be moments when it looks like the efforts of men are succeeding. And I'm sure it seemed that way for Joseph. 
because he finds himself in a pit. And Reuben, his older brother, steps in, and I'm thankful for that. Whatever his motive was, maybe he's trying to make up for the the moral failure in Genesis 35 that he had. I don't know, but I'm thankful. But I'm wondering, if we're talking about book titles like we did a minute ago, I wonder if somebody had in mind Joseph when they wrote this book. Brother Ledoux told me about this morning. He says, if life is a bowl of cherries, what am I doing in the pits? Because that's where he found himself. In the pits, and, and, and while he's down in the pit, verse 25, they sat down to eat bread. They're sitting there eating. Can you imagine, if you were Joseph, wouldn't you be crying? Wouldn't you be crying out for help? Wouldn't you be crying for mercy? I mean, I know I would, and the cries of your brothers are in your, your brother is in your ear, and you eat. And you know, they have a heavy heart because of this. Because years later, when they're standing before Joseph and things aren't going well, and they don't know it's Joseph yet, you know what they say? They say, you know, this is all because of the pit. This is because of what we did to our brother way back then. And and so Judah comes up with this idea and says, let's not sell him, or let's not kill him, let's sell him. Have you seen gas prices? Let's make some money. 20 pieces of silver. And so we have this example of human trafficking right here, which is also a real problem today. Verse 28. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold to Joseph and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Reuben comes back and he finds the pit empty and he, he has this immediate guilt over what's happened, but it's too late. They've already sold him. He's already gone. So they take his coat, they kill a goat, they dip it in blood, and they take that back to their father and say, Joseph is dead. And just consider their father's reaction one more time. They sent the coat of many colors, verse 32, and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it. And said, it's my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins. And mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters, they rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept with him. Think about just all of the the effects of these decisions. But Ken, in his prayer meeting, Ken Austin talked about our decisions and the effects down the road. And can you imagine when they were thinking, let's kill our brother, they weren't seeing their father's face. They weren't hearing the cries of anguish. And there are many times when we make decisions on one end of it and we don't think uh, about the back end of it and how terrible it's going to be. There's so many lessons to be learned. I mean, I've got all of these listed out, but I want to just give you this, this big idea today how... How trouble can come to anybody even if you're doing right. See, Joseph embraced God's revelation. He submitted to God's word. And the last thing you would expect for somebody that's doing the right thing is to be betrayed and abandoned and in a pit and trafficked. And he's got to be thinking, Lord, what's going on? I've done right. You revealed yourself. I accepted it. I've submitted to my father. I finished the task. Now I'm being sold to strangers. My brother, just watch me be sold and and carried off to Egypt. I, I already miss my dad. My brothers hate me. My life is over. What purpose could this possibly serve? Well, I want to look at a passage over in Genesis 15. 
to try to tie this together. Genesis chapter 15. Look over there and keep your place in Genesis 37. Genesis 15. We, we preached through this uh, months ago on the life of Abraham and God had come and, and renewed the covenant to Abraham here and he says a few things there that are interesting that I just want to point out here today. Genesis 15 verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo and horror of great darkness fell upon him. So here's another dream that turns into a nightmare. And he said unto him, Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Okay, so listen, so pay attention. Don't just read it. Try to, try to register. He tells Abram, I want you to know this. Surely your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. So keep that in mind. And shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. Verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will judge, uh, um, and after will I judge, sorry, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, this is a prophecy from God. God comes to Abraham and he says, just know that your seed is going to be carried off. They're going to be captives. They're going to be slaves in another country. And in that country, though, they're going to grow. They're going to develop. And when they finally leave that country, they're going to come out with all kinds of wealth, all kinds of substance. And then they're going to come back here and they're going to take this land that I promised them. But in an act of God's mercy, he says, the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not, is not yet full. Um, meaning that he's going to give the people of the land of Canaan plenty of time to repent of their sins. But they're not going to for 400 years. And so he's predicting this, this, this future event. He's saying, you know, your people are going to go to a different country. They're going to be captive. They're going to be slaves. But they're going to grow and develop into, from a family into a nation and then have great substance. Then they're going to come back. And then that's when they're finally going to take the land. And it's interesting because it means that it's actually God's plan for Israel to go away into another country until the time is right for them to return to the land of Canaan and finally possess it. That's what he says. And since we get to read ahead into the book of Exodus, tell me then, which country do the children of Israel go to and become enslaved in, then escape from as a great nation with all kinds of wealth? What country is it? It's Egypt. Okay, so go back to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, and, and look at the last verse of Genesis chapter 37. And the Midianites sold him, Joseph, into what country? Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. So listen, God intends for Egypt to play a role in the preservation of Israel. So Joseph... In, as Egypt's second in command in the future, which we know, because we get to read the end of the story, that we know that while he is, is second in command, he actually preserves Israel. He preserves his brothers in a famine. 
God has a plan for Israel. Listen, and it includes Egypt where Joseph right now is headed. So are we to assume that God is orchestrating his purpose even in a situation full of envy and full of sin and full of betrayal? Is God honestly using circumstances as wicked and difficult as these to accomplish his plan? Well, I don't know everything. I'm certainly not the sovereign providential God. But it definitely appears to me that God is working even in a situation like this. He is working to put Joseph in a position to be used to accomplish God's plans for Israel. Because we know that Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. He ends up in the house of an Egyptian and not just a normal citizen like you or I. I'm talking about somebody that's high up in, in the government. He's the captain of the guard. He probably has oversight over the prisons. He's an, he's an important person in, this, in the culture, in the government. And so it means then that Joseph is headed to his house. And he's headed to his house. And I know he'll be cast out of his house and thrown into prison later because of a false accusation. But it's there that he'll meet the Pharaoh's butler. And if you know the rest of that story, then you know that he interprets a dream for the Pharaoh's butler. And the Pharaoh's butler ends up back in Pharaoh's palace who tells him about Joseph after a couple of years. And Joseph ends up in the palace interpreting a dream for Pharaoh. But listen here, what I'm trying to tell you though is it all started in a pit. See, God's plan has never been closer to being accomplished than when Joseph was down in that pit. See, God's plan is, has not been interrupted just because Joseph is in a pit. God's will has not been thwarted just because his brothers do wrong. God's purpose has not been sidetracked just because he's sold as a slave. Now understand, God's not the author of evil. He's not. He doesn't cause people to sin. But when they sin, we serve a God who is providential enough that he can turn the circumstances around that look dire and look terrible and look awful and he can actually turn them into something good for his purposes. This whole time, for Joseph, it looks like the world is falling apart. But God is simply positioning him to be in the right place at the right time for the good of his people. Here it is today. The pit is the plan. The pit is the plan. You say, that is so uplifting. I'm just telling you, God, for God, when it comes to the way God works in our lives, sometimes the pit is the plan. God's providence and his sovereignty can turn something that looks terrible into an opportunity to accomplish his purposes. And when our dreams become nightmares, don't write God off. He can use our time in the pits to prepare us for greater plans. The pit is the plan. And the plan may not be for God to rescue you right away. I don't know, you may be in a situation, you're like, I've got to get out of this right away. It may not be God's plan for you to get out of the pit. I'm not saying it's not, it's not hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to not have compassion this morning. But I am trying to say that sometimes God has you in the pit for a purpose. And the plan may not be for you to claw your way out of the pit. The plan may not be for you to, to seek a change in your surroundings. It may just be that the pit is the plan. Like an oyster with a grain of sand coming inside of it. You know, that's not his plan. It irritates him. And yet without a grain of sand, there wouldn't be a pearl. 
Without pressure on the coal, there wouldn't be a diamond. And without a horse willing to be broken, it would never be useful to be ridden or useful for the farmer. Sometimes the pit is the plan because it's in the pit that God grows us and prepares us for our next step. And just to illustrate this, I just need a couple of guys. And Ashton, will you come just stand right here? I'm going to have Ashton represent Egypt. Egypt's not always positive in scripture, but that's okay. okay. So then um, I need an Ishmaelite. Um, Josh, Quan, why don't you come be an Ishmaelite for me? So this is Josh over here. You can come stand right over here by, if you know sign language, jump in. You can go just on the floor there. So, so what we have here then is we have Ishmaelites coming by. And we have Egypt over here. Now we know that God's ultimate plan is for Joseph to end up right here. Okay, so, the, so we'll say then right down here represents the pit. And up here represents the life of ease. This is where all of us want to live. This is where I want to be. I'll just stay right up here. I don't want to be down in the pit. So the Ishmaelites then walk to Egypt. And they get to Egypt, no problem. No big deal. They get to Egypt. But in this reality, they're missing something. In this reality, they're missing Joseph. Because Joseph wasn't in the pit. So, Josh, if you could hustle back over there. So let's say then, now Joseph has submitted himself to the pit. And now Joseph ends up, now he's in the pit. The Ishmaelites come along. And while they do, they grab Joseph by the arm. Don't hurt him. <laughs> and they take him to Egypt where God's plan can be fulfilled because Joseph is now where he's supposed to be. Do you understand that sometimes God has us in the pits because he wants us to get to us to the next step in our progression of growth and maturity? There's enough, you guys can be seated, thank you. And if he had, if Joseph had skipped the pit, he would have missed the Ishmaelites. And if he had missed the Ishmaelites, he would have missed Potiphar. And if he had missed Potiphar, he would have missed prison. And if he had missed prison, he would have missed the butler. And if he had missed the butler, he would have missed Pharaoh. Sometimes the pit is the plan. We're going through James on Sunday nights and James wrote these verses a few months ago. We preached on this. It says, my brother encountered all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You know, he says, you can be joyful when you're in the pit. Because he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What he says is, it's in the pits where God grows us the most. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's God's plan to mature you through your time in the pits. See, as much as we hate the tests of life, God uses them to grow us into what he wants us to be. The, te the, the tests are not meant to destroy us, they're meant to transform us, to reveal who we are and to grow us and get us ready for the next step of life. And we came to this conclusion in that message, and I want to bring it up again today because I think it's worth repeating. See, when it comes to a test, we need to stop being a victim and we need to start being a student. See, the pit is a test. 
And God uses the tests, the pits, to reveal who we are and how mature we are and how faith-filled we are and how useful we are and how far we have to go. And if we claw and fight our way out of the pits, we might miss the, the things that God is trying to get us to. We, we say, I've got to get out of this. Or, or we might even roll up in a ball and say, no, I'm a victim and nobody has it as hard as me. And we'll also miss that lesson. So James says, you know what you need to do? You need to stop viewing the, the pits as, uh, as a victimhood. You need to start viewing them like you're a student. Don't be a victim, be a student. Beg him to help you. Don't say, don't, God, don't, it's not that I want you to take me out of the pit. Just, I don't want to miss the lesson while I'm here. God's plan for you is growth. It's maturity. It's growing up. That pit you're in right now is God's way of positioning you for your next step of usefulness. That's how it worked for Joseph, and it's how, it's how it works for us. And listen, I know the pit is hard, but you've got to trust that God is positioning you for your next step. He always has a plan for our tests. He does, there's no busy work with God. And if you will be a student and stop playing the victim, James then said, also blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Meaning blessed is the man or the woman or the teenager that resolves to grow while they're in the pit. Because in the end, God makes it worth it. Peter said, it's after you've suffered a while that you become perfect or mature and established and settled and strengthened. But you don't get to those traits until you suffer a while. The providential God is putting you in a position toward his greater plans. And it changes, if you think of it that way, it changes the way you view the pit. Now, you're probably not ever going to say, man, this is pretty nice, actually. It's pretty nice down here. I'll decorate. <laughs> no, but it will help you view the pit as a, as a way, instead of God trying to destroy you, think, God's trying to transform me. And I'm all the way down in the bottom of this thing, but I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm going to be a student, and I'm not going to miss the lesson through this test. That crisis that you don't see the end of, it's a pit now, but God may be positioning you. And he may be using your testimony in the future to affect other people. So if you claw your way out of it, you're going to miss that opportunity. The pit is the plan. And before you think it's unfair... Can I just remind you that Joseph is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus did right. He submitted to his father. And he came to Israel, his brethren. And he tried to reveal God's word to them. And they didn't like it. I mean, he kept submitting to his father's plans, but the people didn't want to hear it. They rejected it. They tried to stamp it out. And they betrayed him and they sold him for silver. And they wrote him off, not realizing that he was the Messiah, the one who someday would save them in their darkest moment. And yet Jesus, listen, pay attention, and yet Jesus in that garden, he cried to his father and said, if it be possible, if it be thy will, God, I know, if it's possible, though, uh, if, if you'll let me just get out of this pit. I mean, his flesh didn't want it. Let this cup pass from me, he said. Father, my flesh doesn't want the pit. But what he ended up saying is though, but I trust your bigger plan. So Jesus, God's only son, submitted to his pit. And God used his death on the cross to bring life to anyone who believes. 
God's plan is eternal life for everybody. But listen, if Jesus hadn't been willing to be in the pit and go through the pit and go through the pain and go through the death and the shame and the torture and the suffering on the cross, God's plan would not have been fulfilled. And without the pit, Joseph would not have ended up in Egypt. But without the cross, you and I could not have been saved. Don't view your pit as the end of something. View it as a stepping stone to something greater. Don't view your pit as the end of something. View it as a stepping stone to something greater. And you know what? It may even be a while before you get to greater. You you may not ever see greater in this life. But you can trust a providential God that has a plan for everything you're facing. As I was thinking about a way to wrap this up, I took a step back and I thought, okay, let's take a, a poll who would most people think is better off in this story? I mean, you've got Joseph's brothers and Jacob and Joseph. I mean, so who would we think is better off in the story? Well, let's start with Jacob. I mean, Jacob, in this moment, because of the destruction of bad choices and deception and betrayal and hatred, Jacob is in his home, in his tent, And he's mourning and he says, I'll never be consoled. So he's full of grief. Joseph's brothers are in the next ten over. They can't console their dad and yet they know what they've done. And it eats away at them so much that years later when they're standing in Egypt, they're saying God's put us here and he's judging us because of what we did at the pit. And so his brothers are full of guilt. So Jacob's full of grief And his brothers are full of guilt. And Joseph's down in the pit. And most people would say, well, he's the one that's worse off. And yet Joseph's view of the pit, based on his responses, the rest of his time until he ends up in Egypt, in Pharaoh's palace, most of the time it becomes obvious that Joseph's not looking at at a pit or the prison as something bad. He's looking at it as, oh, God's got a plan for me and I'm just going to wait right here and I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grow. So, yeah, you could be Jacob and still be alive and have your freedom. But if you're full of grief, that's no way to live. And you could be Joseph's brothers and you could have the weight of your sin weighing on you and be full of guilt. And I'm telling you, I've tried to live with the guilt of sin before and that's no way to live for sure. Or you can be Joseph in the pit where nobody would look at him and say, well, I want to be that guy. But if you'll say, no, God, the pit is your plan and I intend to grow right here. And I'm telling you, the best place you'll ever be is not in freedom, in grief, or the, in having guilt of sin. But right there in the pit where God has placed you because he has another bigger step for you. And I know it's hard, but if you'll say, God, I want to grow, you're in the best place you'll ever be to be right there in the pit. It's better than grief and it's better than guilt because it puts you in a position to be used by God in a way you never thought he could. So here's my message to you today. You can have joy in the pit. And when the dream becomes a nightmare, just remember that you have a providential, sovereign God who loves you with an everlasting love and he's behind it all and he can transform your pit into something that eventually, someday down the road, is a greater plan for your life. You just have to, while you're in the pit, view it properly. Be a student, not a victim. Learn all you can and grow as much as possible and trust that God is preparing you for your next step of usefulness. There are those this morning who 
You may be here and you say, well, I don't really know. I've been in a pit my whole life. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you've never met Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if that is your condition, you'll be in the pit your whole life. Only that's a pit of your own making. And it's a pit in which God can't grow you. You, See, you've got to come to the end of yourself and by faith cry out to a holy God who sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. Repent of your sins and say, I can't get out of this pit by myself. And you know what he does? According to Psalm 40, he'll reach down and he'll pull you out of the pit of sin. And he'll set your feet on a rock. And that's when you can start to actually really grow. But some of you, if you died today, you'd be eternally separated from God because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, today is the day to look up and say, I repent of my sin. I receive you as my Savior. God, would you forgive me of my sin and take me to heaven when I die? Listen, that is, today's the day. And we've got some that God's been working on in your hearts. And listen, you'll be in a pit of sin your whole life. It's time to get out of it with God's help. For the Christian today, you're in a pit of health issues or finance crisis, whatever it is, and that pit is overwhelming you. Well, I'm just telling you today, if, if God treats us and loves us like he does Joseph, which we know he does, then he, the pit is not the end of you. The pit is a place where God wants to grow you and get you ready for the next step of your life. And it's time to just submit to the pit. I didn't even come up with that. It just came to me right now. <laughs> submit to the pit. Because sometimes the pit is the plan. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.